Because it's July, we have a new theme, and our theme for July is called Speaking Truth to Power. And this is a phrase that has a rich history. For example, in classical Greece, the term for this was parhesia, which roughly translates to speaking candidly regardless of the circumstances for the speaker. And during India's revolution for independence, led by Mahatma Gandhi, this was called satyagraha. And that term literally translates to truth power. So speaking truth to power is a nonviolent way of bringing in what we know in our hearts to be the truth and speaking that truth in the face of oppression. Now, I want us to be paying particular attention to that phrase nonviolent. Um, because if you're like me, sometimes when I think of nonviolence, I immediately go to, oh, it's talking about physical violence. And it is, it is talking about physical violence. But there's also a deeper meaning in that phrase nonviolent. And it invites us to be careful to also not be violent with our thoughts and with our words when we're speaking truth to power. And I'm reminded of this phrase that I heard often from Reverend Galen McDowell, who's one of the ministers at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, and he would always ask us in his talks, how safe are the people on the streets of your mind? <laughs> so in today's talk, which is called Monsters Incorporated, and yes, it is named after the Disney Pixar movie, <laughs> we're going to explore what it means to speak truth to power in a truly nonviolent way and really seek to understand the underlying spiritual truth of oneness that offers us a solution to many of the problems that we see in the world with things like oppression and separation. So do you remember the movie Monsters Incorporated? You know, who remembers the movie? Okay, not as many people as I'd like. I'm going to give you homework. You all need to go home and watch this movie. It's really good. Um, you know, it's got Billy Crystal and John Goodman in it, and um, it's one of my favorite Disney Pixar movies. And Without ruining the plot, because now many of you need to go see it, um, there's this monster world, right? And this monster world gets its electricity from the screams of children, which is a very monstery thing, right? <laughs> so they're taught that they have to scare these children to get power. But they're also taught, and this is where things get fun and interesting, that they cannot ever be touched by a child. Because if they do get touched by a child, they will die. So you start to see the contradiction, right? The monsters have to scare these children to get the power for their city, but they themselves are deathly afraid of the children. So can we think of any real-life examples? That might be the case. Monsters Incorporated is, is a really good mirror for real life because we see this movie illustrate how institutionalized fears can be wildly irrational. Just about every society throughout human history has had some way that it has taught us to be afraid. 
you know, to be afraid of the things that we don't know, to be afraid of the things that we don't understand. And just this week has felt like a bit of a roller coaster for me. And it's felt like a bit of a roller coaster ride because of the Supreme Court rulings, especially the ruling that we heard on Friday. And I know that I'm feeling a bit raw about that ruling on Friday. And, you know, as the, as the straight cisgendered man who's up here feeling raw, I can only imagine what my LGBTQI friends are feeling in the wake of that ruling. Because it feels like a step backward. It feels like a step backward into the sort of discrimination and oppression that we know are not in alignment with oneness and that we know have been outlawed in the United States. So before I move on, I want to be super clear with everyone here at the center. Whoever you are, you are welcome here. Whoever you love, you are welcome here. Whatever you look like, you are welcome here. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say that your queer is welcome here. And that's because one of the foundational principles of science of mind is that we are all one. And that we're all connected through the bonds of love. That is who we are as a center, and that is who we are as a global movement. And that is the spiritual principle that allows us to speak truth to power. That is that same spiritual principle that Mahatma Gandhi used to free India from British oppression, that Dr. King used to lead the civil rights movement. It's that same spiritual principle that Nelson Mandela and Archbishop Desmond Tutu use to help to heal South Africa from apartheid. Here at the Center for Spiritual Living, we know that it is true that even though we might look different, even though we may love differently, even though we might not fit the mold of what somebody says is normal, we know that we are never separate, ever, period. I could end my talk right here, but I won't. <laughs> How we accept and we treat one another is a reflection of whether or not we are in alignment with this principle. So when I first heard that Supreme Court ruling on Friday, I was feeling angry. I was feeling fearful. I was feeling a bit confused. And, you know, I consider myself to be privileged in the sense that because I am, you know, straight, cisgendered, I'm not directly affected by this ruling. But nevertheless, as an ally, I found myself afraid what, of what might happen to me and especially what might happen to those who are in the LGBTQI community. It wasn't that long ago here in Santa Rosa that Brew Coffee had an anti-LGBTQ poster that was put on their window. And just last week, a couple of my friends told me how they were removing swastikas from downtown that people had painted there. 
And I'm so grateful that they did that, and it breaks my heart. Now, fear is a natural response given these circumstances. I don't begrudge anybody for feeling afraid. But for myself, I find myself having to recognize that fear can't be my only response. Because I know that if I meet the fear that is shown by those who may be stuck in a mindset of separation with my own fear, all I'm going to do is create more fear. And this is where speaking truth to power comes in. Because in those moments, I'm given the opportunity to check in with myself and to see where I might be holding on to the idea of separation, where I might be allowing my fear to govern how I show up to the world and especially how I respond to the challenges that show up in the world. Here's the thing, y'all. When we're faced with injustice, it can be tempting to go to and then stay in our fight, our flight, or our freeze response, and then allow that to inform how we react to a situation. And if you're being chased by a tiger in the world, that's okay, right? Go to your fight or flight you know, reaction if it's literally life or death. That's okay. That's why we have that reaction. But for most situations, there is an opportunity for us to be in relationship with that fear rather than allowing the fear to govern how we respond. I'm not saying that we would suppress our fear because I think often in our, our teaching and our movement, it can be tempting to go straight to the positive without really getting in relationship with why is that fear showing up. But I also know that even though there's a power in us sitting and understand, sitting with and understanding that fear, we also can't be trapped by it. Because if we do get trapped in that fear response, then that's just going to lead to more separation. And that separation can even lead to violence of thought, which then leads to violence of words, which then leads to physical violence. And I don't think that we really can speak truth to power about the injustices that we see in the world if we are only coming from a place of fear. Because those things are not compatible with oneness. Now I'm talking about big picture, but this concept of speaking truth to power also works for us individually. It's something that can be incredibly intimate. Because when I'm faced with what might seem like daily injustices, then I have an opportunity to bring in spiritual principle. I have an opportunity to remind myself of my oneness and to rest in that spiritual principle to get comfort and to find my way into a place where I can act, not from my fear, but from that unconditional love that's already within. And when I do this, I notice that sometimes the injustice that I paint on the world around me is really just a product of the injustice that I feel against myself. 
you know, sometimes my inner critic gets the best of me. Does anybody have that inner critic? Yeah? Yeah, it can be very loud, and it's pretty darn judgy, isn't it? <laughs> so in those times, speaking truth to power for myself can be very healing because it invites me back into my spiritual center. And then it's from that center that I'm able to share love with those parts of myself that might be afraid, that might be creating stories that just aren't true about myself and about the world. It's not surprising for me that it's been so hard for us as a species, as humanity, to move beyond this idea of us versus them. Since we began recording history, humans have been faced with all of these seeming opposites. For our most primal ancestors, a preference for the light over the dark just comes from the fact that, well, all the predators come out in the dark and it's really hard to see. So of course we're going to prefer the light. Now we've got opposites. When faced with limited resources, tribal humanity had to be wary of other people because it meant, well, that other tribe might take my food, might hurt my family. And so it's natural that we would see an enemy. New ideas, new truths become the enemy because we are a rather stubborn species. <laughs> and our brains aren't easily molded past our childhood years. So ideas that challenge our most deeply held beliefs can feel painful for us to consider. So this idea that it's hard to mold our brains when we're older is why I'm really grateful that we have our youth and family program back here at the center because what a gift is it that we can share our teaching of oneness, of inclusion, of acceptance with minds that are so ready to absorb it. Our youth coordinator, Jennifer Caldwell, hi Jennifer, she's been doing this spectacular job bringing this program back to life with the help of all of her volunteers. And I know that our youth are the future of this movement because they are carrying the torch of this teaching and ensuring that the spiritual truth that we teach here, that truth to power, that it lives on in generations to come, and so this is why I'm so passionate about our youth program, and it's why I hope that you will lend your own understanding of our teachings to our youth. And one of the ways that you can do that is simply by volunteering for one to two hours a month. That's it. Our youth need you. They need you to help to guide them and to help them to know that they're loved and that they're accepted just the way that they are. And I know that the more deeply that we're able to help our youth to embody that, then the more passionately they are going to be able to show up in the world and to share their gifts. So, <laughs> now we have our wonderful youth and family crew over there. Thank you. <laughs> so, 
perhaps you're wondering, what can we do to make it easier to face our fears when they show up for us, whether they are a legitimate fear or maybe not so legitimate fear? And how can we speak truth to power, speaking from that inner oneness rather than speaking from our fear? Well, it should be no surprise that I'm going to stand up here and tell you spiritual practice. (laughs) Spiritual practice brings us back to that truth because it reminds us that the oneness didn't go anywhere. It's already here with us. It's already within us. But I want to be clear, I'm not talking about just any spiritual practice because there's a little bit of a modifier that I'm going to add in here. There is a danger with spiritual practice where it can be tempting to use it to avoid fear as opposed to getting into relationship with fear. And author Robert Augustus Masters talks about this in his book, Spiritual Bypassing, where when spiritual practice is used as a means to avoid the unpleasant feelings that we have, that it can actually become an addiction. And so he cautions us against using spiritual practice to avoid the uncomfortable feelings, and rather that spiritual practice becomes a way that we can be in relationship with our uncomfortable feelings. So what this means for me is that like so many things in my life, my spiritual practice has to be intentional. I need to ask myself that question, why am I meditating right now? I need to ask myself that question, why am I praying right now? I need to ask myself that question, why am I engaging in spiritual study or spiritual circulation? Is it just to feel good in the same way that eating a pint of cold stone creamery feels good? (laughs) Or is it so that I can express a deeper good, not just in my life, but to help others around me to express their good? If there's one primary goal of spiritual practice that I've learned, and that's not to say that there aren't many that are wonderful goals, it's to remind us that we are not separate from the world around us. When I first began my own spiritual journey, my practice was often designed to help me to just feel good. And that wasn't wrong because that's what I needed at the time. But I also needed to grow. Because what I didn't realize is that that desire to feel good, that was a direct result of the fact that I didn't feel connected to the world around me. When I was engaging in spiritual practice, there was a part of me that was still clinging to this mindset of separation. And if I'm honest, sometimes that mindset of separation finds its way back into my life, just like it did on Friday when I was reading the news. And I think that happens to the best of us. Now, there's another major goal of spiritual practice that I've learned, and it comes out of that first goal, and it's the embodiment of the idea that because we are one with this great source of creation, we matter. We would not exist if there was not something out there that wanted us to exist. We may not know what that something is, but I can tell you it wanted us to be here. Otherwise, we wouldn't be, would we? 
And part of this realization for me is also the idea that everyone else in the world, even though I might not understand them or agree with them, is wanted and needed by this divine source. So in this way, I'm reminded of the shared experience of humanity that is the common thread that binds us all. Now, I've found that these goals are best realized when we engage in practices that help us to move beyond that mindset of us versus them or me versus the outside world. And those practices are called non-dual practice. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a funky technical jargony word, so I'm going to unpack it here. Non-dualism describes that state of mind where we do not see or experience ourselves as separate from the world around us. This experience is also an active one in the sense that because we have this felt sense of connection with everything, we're naturally drawn to act in ways that support that connection. It's not a forced thing, it's natural, it's organic. And one spiritual practice that I'd like to share with us as we wind down today that I found excellent at helping to bring me into that felt sense of oneness is effortless mindfulness. And this is an active meditation practice, and I'm going to be teaching it starting tomorrow um, evening. Um, so if you haven't signed up for my class, you still have time. And effortless mindfulness is unique in the sense that, or unique among all the styles of meditation that I've tried, in the sense that it's designed to move us past our conceptual thinking mind. That's that voice in our head that speaks with words. And this is that same mind that creates us versus them. Now, the idea of moving past that mind is that once we get past the thinking mind, that's where our ground of being is. And that ground of being is oneness. It's pure awareness. And that oneness, by its very nature, cannot be dualistic. It does not see an enemy it does not see an other. And the reason we have to move past the thinking mind is because that thinking mind is always going to be just a little bit in the realm of separation. Because when we're thinking, we're always thinking about something, right? So it's always, here I am thinking, and then there's the thing that I'm thinking about. There's separation. Pure awareness, devoid of thought, is non-dual because it doesn't see itself as separate. It doesn't see itself as separate from anything. And it's also active in the sense that it knows how to direct our thoughts and our actions. In fact, it's the source, from, uh, the source of our thoughts and our actions. But it knows how to direct them in a way that's affirming of oneness, that's affirming of love, that's affirming of wholeness, that's affirming of all these spiritual principles that we teach here at the center. It's compassionate. When we're in the warm embrace of what Locke Kelly calls our own awake awareness, that's awareness that's aware of itself, it's simply not possible to see anyone or anything as the enemy. 
And this is kind of similar to how Sully, who's the main character in Monsters Incorporated, who's voiced by John Goodman, well, he falls in love with the human little girl who follows him into the monster world. He starts off deathly afraid of her, and by the end of it, you can see this love that he has for her. That's what happens when we can get in relationship with that non-dual self. We can shift from being fearful in the world to finding our love and allowing that love to guide us in everything that we do, to speak truth to power. So to close us out today, um, since non-dual, like being in that non-dual essence is really hard to put into words by the very definition of it, right? If, we, if we're not using thought and words, then talking about it is really hard. Um, I thought I would give us a short little practice that we can use. Um, and also because I know I am needing a bit of a break from everything that's going on in the world. And I love this practice because it helps me to pause and to find my way back into that felt sense of oneness. So are you all ready to practice with me? Okay. So this is a practice that's very short and you can use it throughout your day. All you need to do is just maybe set up a reminder on your phone if you're like me and you kind of get caught up in the things. And if it feels comfortable, you can go ahead and close your eyes or maybe soften your gaze. And just become aware of your senses. Your hearing, your sense of smell, your sense of touch, even your eyesight as you're looking from behind your eyelids. And I invite you to notice from what part of your body do your senses enter your experience? For most of us, this is going to be your head. So simply become aware of your awareness as it's located in and around your head. Now, without having to think about it or know how you're going to do this, detach this awareness that's located in your head and move it down to your heart space. And notice what it's like to be aware from the spaciousness of your heart. Perhaps you feel a tenderness there. Or maybe a joyful, loving kindness. Let's feel what it's like to be aware of yourself and everything around you from this heart awareness. And as you're aware from your heart, take notice are there any barriers or boundaries between this heart awareness and that spacious awareness that's all around you? And if perhaps you've been feeling fearful lately, what's it like to be aware of the fear from the perspective of your loving heart center?
And so I invite you to find your way back to the room. When you feel ready, go ahead and open your eyes. So that really only takes a minute or two. And imagine what life would be like if all of us lived from this heart center awareness. Oneness is a gift that we as a community have to share with the world. And the world needs our gift. It really does. It needs our teaching that we have here at the center. It needs the spiritual truth that we remember each time that we meditate and we pray and we open our hearts in beautiful community to one another. It needs the gifts that we bring each day, especially the gifts that we bring when we grow beyond our old ways of being. The monsters in this world are first born in our mind. And it's through, it's through the cultivation of this inner oneness that we're able to heal them that we're able to let go of those monsters and recognize that really, really, love is the answer to bringing healing to the issues and the problems that we see in this world.